You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. This episode, we're looking at Night of the Hunter, a 1955 drama directed by Charles Lawton. The cinematographer is Stanley Cortez. It stars Robert Mitchum as Harry Powell the Preacher, Shelley Winters as Willa, Lillian Gish as Mrs Cooper, and Billy Chapin and Sally Jane Bruce as John and Pearl, the children who are on the run. What's the plot, Gary? So... Harry Powell is a self-styled preacher who travels through the backwoods of West Virginia pursuing his God-given vocation, which is marrying lonely widows, murdering them and running off with their money. However, he is not just greedy. He is a misogynist psychopath who chats merrily to God and has the words love and hate tattooed on each knuckle of his favourite murder weapons. When he shares a cell with Ben Draper, he learns of the stash of cash Draper took from the robbery that left two people dead and Draper waiting to hang. On his release, Powell finds the Drapers and easily seduces the now-widowed Willa into marrying him. He also finds it easy to kill Willa, but not so easy to persuade little John Draper to give up the money which he promised his father he would never reveal. John and tiny sister Pearl escape from Powell's clutches by way of sailing down the Ohio River until they chance upon Rachel Cooper, an elderly woman who specialises in taking in lost children. She runs her flock of ducklings with military discipline, but it's tough love through and through. And Powell is about to find out just how tough a foster mother's love can be when he inevitably catches up with John and Pearl to take what God has assured him belongs to him. So, Lindsay, what's wrong with this picture? It's an absolute one of a kind. I mean, quite literally for Charles Lawton, who many of you will know was a, was an actor uh, throughout the kind of 30s, 40s, 50s, um, had was astounding in films like uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I think in 1939. Um, this was his one shot as a director. And what a shot it was. He really yeah. took his shot. And it's an absolutely uh, amazing film to look at. Uh, just some of the themes about religion and how religion can be used for good and bad. It's a film of absolute stark opposites and that goes to the visuals as well because mm. it's very starkly black and white. Uh, it's an absolute treat for the eyes, but it's a very, very odd film. What do you think's weird about it? I think what's weird about it is it takes um, a conventional thriller plot mm-hmm. um, and makes it both horror movie and beautiful art movie at the same time um and that's it's still unusual when people make a a, a horror movie which is also an art movie Uh, less unusual now but in 1955 uh unique um it it was that simple and uh, and this is one of the reasons why um it's legend really the night of the hunter has been 
burnished by all these facts. Um, the reason why Charles Lawton only directed one film is because it bombed. Um, it was a critical, um, uh, you know, it, it, pretty much a critical disaster, but definitely a commercial disaster. Um, the um, people involved with the film um, claimed that actually it was simply because the studio watched it and just didn't get it and didn't understand it and therefore didn't know how to market it and therefore it didn't get marketed and therefore it bombed. Yeah. Um, the, the few critics that wrote that wrote about it, um, while some of them um, just absolutely bashed it for being pretentious uh, and, and completely baffling, um, other people uh, gave it some, you know, admitted that it was beautifully made but still said, well, it's pretentious and baffling. Um, so there was no encouragement of people to, to go and watch it. Um, and that meant that it took years and years. It's one of those films where it was gradually built up a cult over a long period of and time. And rediscovered. And was rediscovered. And um, to the point where you you know Spike Lee directly references Harry Powell, the preacher, in Do the Right Thing, his huge breakthrough film. Uh, with a, a character that has love and hate tattooed on his knuckles. Oh, yeah. um, and yeah, Spike Lee admits that was an absolute homage. Um, by the time it had got to, I think it was um, 1990, I'm just looking in my notes, um, 1992, um, its reputation had been restored to such a point that it uh, it was, became part of the United States Library of Congress films. Uh, which are deemed to be culturally, historically or aesthetically significant um, and, you know, therefore preserved um, forever. Um, and by 20 years later, the uh, every 10 years Sight and Sound magazine poll, the greatest films of all time, was now ranking it at number 63, the 63rd greatest film ever mm -hmm. made. And um, 10 years later, uh, last year, 2022, that same poll put it at number 25, now the 25th greatest film ever made in uh, any genre, ever. I'm buying it, I'm buying it. And, um, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. It's interesting you, you call it a horror film. I would not have called it a mm. horror film in a million years. It's To me, it's like a, it's a, like a melancholy dream, that well-known genre mm. of films, melancholy, melancholy dreams. dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the songs in it are lullabies and hymns. Mm. It's essentially a chase story. The, the, the yeah. kids are on the run yes. and, and Harry Powell is chasing them. Yeah. But it's the slowest chase mm. ever they're drifting down river mm. on a on a on a rowboat uh in a skiff he's following them sometimes on a pony but not cantering or galloping it's just mm. he's just walking on this po uh, pony singing his hymns mm. it's the slowest chase <laughs> ever and it just it's it's kind of like what is the plot? The plot doesn't matter. The point is what you are, to me, the point is what you are, are looking at and the, yeah. the, the, the characters. So you might say that these characters are archetypes. Mm, maybe, the, maybe. Very, the very evil, the most evil, evil of, of men, the most kind of saintly and protective of women and yep. the innocence of, of children. And, and right from the start, the film opens with these five children who are Mrs. Cooper's foster kids, including John and Pearl, the runaways, these five faces, just disembodied, just heads. They yeah. are just heads yeah. against this background of stars. Yeah. And then we see Mrs. Cooper's head against this background of stars and she's telling them a, a, a biblical story. So it's got this kind of, 
it's it's very very hard to to pin down even yeah. however many what genre se- does it belong to 70 years later it's very very hard to to pin I'm, down i i'm i'm inclined uh, and i think we had this conversation a few months ago Lindsay, when we were talking about whether we're going to do the night the mm. hunter and um and i sort of said you know um, basically i think uh, you know regular uh, listeners will know i'm a horror movie obsessive it's my favorite sub subgenre um i've been deep diving into lots and lots of horror films catching right up to 2023 over the last um 18 months or so and um when i when i sat and did my list because i do lists um i'm that kind of guy of um, my favorite horror movies ever um night of the hunter is number one and i sat and looked at it for a long time and thought okay but you realize that most people don't define it as one right um and so I had to have a good talk to, you know, why Why is it a horror movie? And, and here is why. Um, Harry Powell is an archetype uh, and he is the embodiment of human evil. That is a very, that is a very horror movie trope. Mm. He is not rational. Yeah, okay, there's this thing about money. But really, mm. you know, he doesn't have to actually murder women for the money. He could just steal it and run away, right? Mm. Um, he, he's, he's absolutely evil and when it comes to the fact that he's actually chasing two tiny defenseless children um he and he enjoys he enjoy he he Mm. enjoys killing people he enjoys it he's the embodiment of evil secondly i think it's the first slasher movie and my um my (laughs) my my justification for that and that's this is five years before psycho and peeping tom who are both often cited as the first slasher movie um it's about the relentless pursuit of of um, a relentless pursuit by an adversary that seems impossible to fight. Yeah, um, that he's just coming and coming and coming, and nothing stops him. And the fact that it's a slow chase uh, rather than you know, by the time we get to the seventies, it's all mm. action, 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 and fast chases. Um, doesn't matter. He, in the end, is someone who kills people with knives or by strangling, and he is going to quite merrily. Uh, murder two small children um, and enjoy it and he may or may not be stoppable um, so I think it's a, a proto slasher movie but but in this film there's religion on two sides isn't there so there mm. is religion and he says about God that you know he does feel he's doing the Lord's work he says you know God God hates perfume smelling things and lacy things and yeah. things with curly hair but well, mm. what do those things have in common you know he's yeah. and and then immediately we see him at a burlesque show absolutely I mean he's gone to see the burlesque show mm. but he's absolutely astonished at the evil of this to the point that his his flick knife mm. uh, kind of flicks and pokes through his trousers in this very kind of yeah, phallic, phallic way phallic um phallic way so I, I, I kind of buy what you're saying. Sla- I, I, slashers murder women. Yeah. You know, in the end, when slasher in every slasher movie, yeah. if, for Psycho, Peeping Tom, right through to Black Christmas, the first modern one, yeah. Halloween, which takes its you know, Friday mm. the 13th. Yeah, occasionally a boy gets mm. killed, a teenager or something, but mainly slashers pursue and murder women because mm. they hate women. Um, it's And no one, there is not a character in film that hates women more than... Uh, preacher Harry Powell. Yeah, he, he he is disgusted by them, and there's a reason why. Um, you know, Joss Whedon, <clears throat> uh, Joss Whedon, essentially just copied the whole character for Caleb uh, in oh, yeah, the, the very yeah. last season of uh, Buffy, Buffy yeah. and why Caleb was the best thing 
<clears throat> about the last season of Buffy mm. in terms of how horrifying he was and how frightening he was. And he was literally Harry Powell. That's exactly who he was. Um, right down to the southern uh, the southern preacher yeah. trappings and the relentless misogyny. And, um, yeah, I, I, I do think it's a horror movie. And also uh, the element of the fantastical. Yes. Uh, which is a massive part of the film. You know, Joel Slaughton had very deliberate ideas about um, he shot lots of it on a soundstage rather than in on location because he wanted it to look fantastical. Um, the, and it, you know, it, it it really does. Yeah. That artificial artificiality is a key part of that, and it 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 looks like so they're going down the river, which is mostly clearly <laughs> a stage shot. set. Uh, the the he's in a, a a car, kind of old jalopy, and you see a back projection. Clearly, could not be more artificial. Yeah. And there's just something about it. It really reminded me of you know when you hang up a sheet at home and you're you're making kind of lantern animals on the screen. It's got yeah. it's got a bit of that. Not that it looks, not that it's not crisp and clear, but it's just it's got this kind of homemade aspect to it, which yeah. I just find really interesting. So yeah. there's a bit where. Harry Powell has just appeared on the scene uh, to, at the at the home of the Drapers. Did you say their son name yep, was the, yep. at the home of the Drapers? Yeah. And so Pearl and John are in their bedroom, and there there are big shadows. This film is all about mm. the, it's all about the whites and the blacks and the shadows and the greys. Mm. And this, uh, so they're in their bedroom. The walls are white. Uh, John is casting shadows from kind of the lamp inside, and he's got kind of little shadows. And then all of a sudden, there's this big, giant head. Mm. that is Harry Powell outside by a lamppost. Laws of physics, of course, that we don't, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. Doesn't matter, doesn't, doesn't matter. Because this giant head is just so scary and so looming. And it's just really emblematic of their little life, whatever it's been, mm. for, for now is going to change. And he is he is going to be this looming presence in their in their life, bigger than anything that's ever kind of come near them before. And yeah. it's just... And I guess maybe maybe why I I don't consider it a horror film is mm. I'm more interested in the art side of it than yeah, the, than the horror play. than and the horror side play. of it. I mean, you know, that, that in the end is 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 kind of what sabotaged it in the box yeah, office. Yeah, um, much in the same way as Peeping Tom, yeah. uh, you know, sabotaged Michael Powell's whole career five years later. It's yes, there's definitely a slasher movie. Yes, it's definitely a horror mm. movie. But the art side of that movie overwhelmed the. You know, just the sheer menace. Yeah. Whereas with Hitchcock, he's never going to let that happen. No, the sheer true. menace overwhelms. There's an, an incredible amount of art in Psycho of how to make that work. But in the end, it's the entertainment and the menace that is number one and the art is number two. Yeah. But I, but I guess there is no escaping the menace of Robert Mitchum's no. character. Oh. He's so he's so incredible in this. He he gives it so much. Uh, there's also some really kind of funny bits as well. Yeah. At one point, he's been chased by a gun, and he kind of yelps. And yeah. there's another bit where he's in the upper bunk when he's in prison with the 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 kid's dad. Yeah, and he's in the upper bunk, and the guy is on the lower bunk, kind of talking in his sleep, which is what Harry yeah. wants because he wants to find out where this money yeah. is. Um. And then his head just appears kind of upside down yeah. from the top bunk. And it's yeah. really funny. And his hair's all sticking up. Yeah. And apparently this was Robert Mitchum's own idea to 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 do this. Um, but so those kind of comedic bits aside, he's just this, as you say, this incredible presence, much like he was in Cape Fear a yes. few years afterwards. Yeah. Really that, similar. That Max Cody, is it Cady? Max, Max Cady. Max Cady. Yeah. Just that unstoppableness, that, that single-minded pursuit 
And I guess in Night of the Hunter, he's single-minded because he's got he feels he's got God on his side. Yeah. He meets his match in someone who knows she's got God on her side. Yes, absolutely. Which is Lillian Gish as, as Mrs. Cooper. Lillian Gish was uh, Charles Lawton's first and only choice for that part, and and you yeah. can you can see why. Yeah. I mean, he initially wanted Gary Cooper and Betty Grable for Robert <laughs> for Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters. I, I I saw a documentary that was well, actually, it's a documentary on the latest. I think it's the latest Blu-ray version uh, released in the UK, and that one insisted uh, what was it for uh, Robert Mitchum's character that they considered what was it Cary Grant. Like, what? <laughs> and, oh, who is the other? Oh, Laurence Olivier. Now, Olivier, I, I get more than Cary Grant. How on earth would Cary Grant have done it? Done it? I, I just not get it. Kind, so, of, kind of played a maybe murderer in Suspicion. Yeah. Maybe. But, oh, such a different, so different. Because what you, you were talking about there <clears> with <throat> the comedic side <clears throat> to this film, Again, this must have been so confusing for an audience. You know, Cape Fear um, and Max, you know, was a hit. Uh, it was very successful. And Max Cady, the the elements of Harry Powell that are just plain evil, that's Max mm-hmm. Cady. But these elements where he would suddenly do or say something ridiculous and try and it seems, make the audience laugh um, and he would be bumbling and weak and pathetic and foolish. Mm. Audiences at the time are going, but look, okay, is he is he an unstoppable force? You know, is he mm. Frankenstein's monster or is he like Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein? <laughs> like, what are you trying to tell us? Um, and it, again, and it, it at the time, uh, I think it would plainly confuse people and now in the test of time as we get to watch it over and over again because we've got videos and whatever you go no this is brilliant this is a unique character why should evil always be strong yeah or or you know or do the right thing or have no sense of humor i I, it's one of the things that really really reminds me of slasher movies because you just see over and over again right to 2023 Somehow uh, the victim or the potential victim is in a basement and they run up some stairs and it seems they've got no chance of getting away from the monster and the monster reaches his hand up and just as he reaches his hand up, the step collapses or he yeah, stumbles yeah. and the person gets away. That Night of the Hunter yeah. invented that shot and it's a perfect, you know, if you want your slashy movie to not end, uh, you have to have things where they screw yes. up. So, um, yeah, um, but... But uh, I don't want to just convince you that it's a horror movie, Lindsay. Um, I really just want to talk about how great it is. Yeah. Well, I, I really want to talk about uh, about Lillian Gish. So yeah. Charles Lawton was like, you know, there, there is no film without you, so you've you got to do it. And he said to her, when I first went to the movies, um, I should say, actually, for people who don't know her, she started her career in 1912, she was acting. So she was she was one of the first kind of film stars ever, very closely connected with D.W. Griffith for good or for ill. Mm-hmm. But she also apparently invented quite a lot of movie acting techniques. She was a stage actress, but she yeah. she understood and and kind of practised that film acting had to be a lot more nuanced. Yeah. And so she was, I mean, some of her earliest silent films are just yeah, amazing. Yeah, Broken Blossoms is incredible. great. Yeah, in, 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 Inherit, um, Intolerance, yeah. Uh, also great. Um, 
and and so she's she's like this this pioneer. And so when he says, "When I first went to the movies," he was watching her when he yeah. first went to the movies. Yeah. Um, when I first went to the movies, they sat straight in their seat and leaned forward. Now they slump down with their heads back and they eat candy and popcorn. I want them to sit up straight again. Yeah, and, yeah, and I've so heard that, that quote. I love that quote. And she, she doesn't appear till an hour in. It's only a 90-minute film. Yeah. But, so she's only in the last half oh, hour. Her impact is astonishing. Her impact is astonishing. And she says, one of her quotes, so she talks a lot in kind of biblical aphorisms yes, as well. Does, yeah. And she says, I'm a strong tree with branches for many birds. And <laughs> she is she is absolutely implacable in her desire to pr- protect these kids. Yes. As he is implacable in his desire to kill the kids. And so they're immediately linked. And at one point, you know, he sings hymns all the way through. And at one point, uh, he starts singing a hymn. He's camped outside her, her house. She joins in and they're singing this hymn together. And it, it, it means kind of different things to, to to both of them. But she is absolutely his equal Yeah. on the other side. That is one of the key, for me, uh, one of the key scenes. Mm. And it must be exactly, again, why it must have confused an audience because he's he's found you know it seems like the chase is well how on earth does he find these kids can he find the right mm. well he's found the house is he busting his way in you know has he bought himself a gun mm. and he's busting his way in no he's sitting on a stoop in the mm. front garden singing a hymn and the way this is shot so you've got Lee and Gish in the foreground she's sort of uh, pretty much in shadow but it's so much her mm. and she's got her big old rifle, yeah. her shotgun, and she's in a rocking chair and she's side onto us. And then through the same shot, through beautiful deep focus, you can see him sitting in the background. He's 10 yards from her. Yeah. Yet, does he attack her at that point or whatever? <clears throat> does she try to shoot him? No. They sing a hymn together. Mm. They sing a hymn together, which is almost an acknowledgement to each other is game on. Yeah. Yeah, and it, exactly. it's just like wow. Exactly, and it's yeah. I don't know. Is it like De Niro and a Pacino meeting <laughs> in, in Heat or something? It's and better. Have of course, it's, it's better. even better. Of course, it's better. Um, and the this that's got an import. That that scene has an import, but it also has a, an absolute beauty. So she's sitting yes. on a she's sitting on a porch, and there's like a like a netting, a porch netting that covers it. She's sitting in the dark, yes. which means that she can see him outside, and she, we can see and we can see him outside because she's sitting in the dark. The light is on him from outside. A, a, a troublesome girl, who's one of her charges called Ruby, uh, comes in. With a candle, she's fallen in love with Paul. She's met him somewhere. Yeah. She, she brings in a candle, and suddenly the porch is lit up, which means that we can't see him outside. And when she immediately snuffs, Lillingish immediately snuffs out the candle, he's gone. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's 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 amazing. I don't know if it's a cut. I, I, I it's it. I, I think it's a cut, but or maybe he just runs out of. Yeah, shot. maybe he just runs there, out. There, of shot. There's it really does seem that this was a really incredible collaboration. Um. I, I managed again to find this this documentary, and she, Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters are. It's a very aging Robert Mitchum looking back. Um, it's the fortieth anniversary of the wow. film, so you know Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters are, you know, getting on. And they also managed to find some footage for, of Lillian Gish. Obviously, she 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 is not alive this time. She was elderly during the shoot, um, but uh, from nineteen seventy eight, talking about the film. And the respect that they have for Lawton is incredible. You you might think there might be some element of 
well, he didn't get it right, did he? You know, that's why he didn't do it again and we didn't have a hit. No. They're all like, we were making a masterpiece. We we knew from the beginning yeah. we were making a masterpiece and it was because of him because he knew exactly what he was doing. And they all had their, their stories about how he knew how to get a performance out of an actor. The film would never have been made without Mitchum coming on board because Mitchum was a big enough star to go and get mm. the money. Um, Mitchum committed to it before there was any money. Um, it also, you know, the, the original script was written by James Agee, who was a very, very big, famous author at the time after having done Let Us Now Praise Famous Men mm. and had co-written The African Queen. But he submitted some 250-page script, which mm. was completely unshootable. So according to Mitchum, Charles Lawton sat and wrote that script. Really? Uh, you know, so he wrote the bloody script as well. Mm. And they had to shoot it in 35 days, and they did. It's... It's amazing. And, and Rowan Mitchum says, you know, we formed a mutual appreciation society. Shelley Winters said, uh, you know, she she mentioned that she'd st- trained at the actor's studio. And in fact, at one point she had been, uh, Charles Lawton had been one of her teachers. Really? And she just said he knew exactly how to work with me in order to get every single performance. And that, and if you like the performance, it's down to him. Wow. Um, it, you know, it, it's so... It, it, that becomes part of the legend. You know, th- this this man made a masterpiece his first time but was so devastated by the failure of it that he just couldn't bring himself to try mm. again. Mm. Um, it wasn't even that Hollywood just, tur- you know, didn't offer him anything. He literally just turned around and said, ah, n- never again, I'm, I'm too heartbroken. Yeah, and you you can see why. I mean, the cinematographer on that, uh, Stanley Cortez. I mean, he's the, the cinematography is also amazing. Just just the use of of light, but he had also worked with uh, Orson Welles on the Magnificent Ambersons, and he said I worked with a lot of directors, but only Welles and Lawton understood light. Wow, there you go. Mm. I mean, this is first time. You know, it's first time. And admittedly, with the Ambersons, Welles is second time. But you know, yeah. it's yeah. So this was a special piece of work, and. You know, there are so many special scenes. I, I, I think one one scene that I would I would love to get your take on, Lindsay, because I don't know if it has as big an impact on you as it does on me, but it's very near the beginning. And it is um, basically, you know, Robert Mitchum's character watching a burlesque dancer. And you mentioned the, the flick knife, knife, the yeah. flick knife, which is quite plainly phallic. But the look of hatred on mm. Robert Mitchum's face, it's, it's, unlike, it's unlike much that's gone on. This, mm. I mean, literally, it's visceral. It, it's, it's a burning, disgusted contempt for everything that woman is. And it, it's, it's incredible. Um, and you, you already mentioned the river journey. But that river journey is because what, what he decided to do, and it's kind of like, it's this leap of logic, is he decides to say, you know what? The river journey, we're going to shoot like Walt Disney. Yeah. Like, what? You know, it, it, it's this two children who are asleep a lot of the time and these incredible close-ups of animals who look like they're, they're overseeing the safety of the yeah. children. There's an owl and there's a rabbit and there's a fox and there's a tortoise. And, you know, at one point the owl... I think catches the rabbit, so you might think, yeah. "Oh well, you know these kids are these kids are yeah. for it because that's that's Harry Powell." But then there's like a, this massive tortoise, and there's a fox up a tree, and it's mm. just it's just beautiful. And the little girl 
peril. We should say something about the, the yeah, kid, yeah, the, the yeah. child actors. Um, they seem to be about, we couldn't really, uh, we're not sure of their ages, no. but they look like they're about, the boys maybe about 10 and the girls maybe about five or six. So she's very young. Mm. And I, I would say the actress who plays Pearl, it, 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 we, it's not a Drew Barrymore no, five-year-old no, performance no, that no. we're getting. She's, not, she's got an amazing face. She's got the face. right face. She's got an amazing face. Um, jo- John, uh, the, the actor who plays the um, the boy whose name is Billy Chapin. Yes, that's right. He is... He is better, and occasionally he can good. really, he can really, really uh, kind of pull it out. But I, I don't know. There's just something about them together, and his—he's going to grow up to be an implacable force himself. Yeah. You can see yeah. that. So he's got a determination. So even when you know the money is hidden somewhere, where the money's hidden, you don't need to don't need to go into that. But him and Pearl both know where the money are, what money is, and. Pearl's going to crack because mm. she likes Harry Powell mm. and he comes and he marries Shelley Winters, their, their, their mother, mm. uh, Willa. Um, and she she kind of adores him. John has this kind of, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you. And I can see at once that you're evil. And of course, Harry mm. Powell's whole thing is kind of setting him and uh, against, setting yeah. Willa against him and saying, your mother's going to take my side. Yeah. She's going to take my side. And of course, until she overhears something and then yeah. doesn't take a side and then uh, that's, that's, the that's to her doom. Let's talk about Shelley Winters because oh, we've focused yes, a lot yeah, on, yeah, on Robert Mitchum. Her first notable role uh, is in uh, 1950, uh, Anthony Mann's classic Western Winchester 73, uh, starring James Stewart. And that kicked off uh, what I would call her imperial phase, uh, which lasted around 11 years. It started off with uh, 1951's A Place in the Sun, um, where she got a Best Actress Oscar nomination. Um, That was opposite uh, Montgomery Cliff, directed by George Stevens. And um, I, I do love this quote from David Thompson uh, in from his uh, biography of film mm. that um, he said of Winters that in that film was her role and her being were sacrificed to our love of Liz Taylor. Yeah. Because if you know the story of A Place in the Sun, it's a, it's a triangle film. And, um, and basically uh, Montgomery Cliff's character is a social climber. Um, he meets Liz Taylor, but he's already been going out with Shelley Winters. He gets her pregnant. And... Um, his greed to be with Liz Taylor for all sorts of reasons uh, leads him to decide to kill uh, Shelley Winter's character. And in point of fact, he doesn't manage to murder her, but she still dies. Um, this started off um, a sort of theme for Shelley Winters, <laughs> Shelley Winters. Uh, about underwater, um, because I think we should probably mention at this point, um, obviously she drowns in a place in the sun. In A Night, a night of the Hunter, she, she, and we'll talk a bit more about the, death scene because it's incredible but um one of the most extraordinary images in the film is that he has driven uh harry powell has driven a car into the, the, a lake or uh, the river to get rid of her body and there is an astonishing shot of her floating in the sea uh, floating in the water sorry with her hair kind of mm-hmm. like a medusa uh our eyes closed uh, it's 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 it's, it's a, you shouldn't be looking at 
you know, it's it's an amazing thing. You're looking at somebody who's dead and, and you're thinking that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. The end of her imperial phrase, I suppose. But uh, Lolita with Stanley Kubrick in 1962, where again, she she defined, she was a character actress that defined a woman who was somewhat pathetic, who was ill-treated by men and who at the same time as being someone who was, you know, being victimised, brought such a humanity to these characters that the viewer did not think, oh, you're just a victim, there's Mm. nothing else to you. Um, She brought a roundness to even the most, you know, the most abused character. Um, And Lolita is the perfect example of that. And um, then there was Alfie uh, in 1966 uh, with Michael Caine. Um, her biggest uh, late period role was in The Poseidon Adventure in 1972, with, which, well, again, underwater. <laughs> again, underwater. And uh, that was, if you don't know it, it was the most kind of loved of the big blockbuster star-studded uh, disaster movies of the early 70s. She worked with Polanski in 1976 in The Tenant. Um, and her last kind of very notable role was um, in 1996, 10 years before her death, uh, where she was in Jane Campion's Portrait of a Lady. It was an incredible career, and it's only when you kind of look at the filmography you realise from the minute she started working, she never stopped working. She was always hired, and every time, I, I know me and Lindsay are a bit the same on this, if we haven't heard a film but we look at the cast list and we yeah. see Shelley Winters on it, it's like, better watch it then. Yeah, yeah. Um, because... I've never once seen her even be mediocre in anything. No. Never mind and bad. She, and she's in, she's incredible in this. She's got that. She's got the necessary neediness. You mm. know, she needs she needs something. And so her husband is dead. She's. I mean, in some ways, she's a silly. She's a silly woman, and that's that's kind of acknowledged. Mm. She doesn't know where the money is because her husband, who's now been hanged for for murders, has said, "Don't tell your mother. She's yeah, a silly she's, woman." Yeah, that's basically um, what he said to his own son. And. So she's got that kind of neediness, and at one point, her her nosy neighbour says to her, "You know, when Harry Powell comes sniffing around, oh, you better you better lock him down. You know, you're not the only fish in the river." Mm. And then, of course, later on, of course, she is she the is only fish, the in, only the fish in the river. Um, according to Winters herself, mm. Charles Lawton, uh, in part of How to Instruct Her How to Play, uh, uh, Willa um, said, uh, "You're a fly that is fascinated by the spider." Yeah, and she said that that from that moment on, I knew what I was doing. Well, and did did you notice in the when the kids first go on the river, the little boy falls asleep almost immediately. Pearl is awake in the back, and she starts singing a song. It's clearly not her voice. I yeah. think it's a young boy's voice. It's, it's um, but she starts singing a song about the fly and the spider, and they go past this beautiful spider's web, which is just foreground with the boat in the background. People might might listen to that and think, well, that sounds a bit obvious. That sounds a bit overt. That sounds a bit on the mm. nose. But actually, nothing about this film is is obvious. No, nothing about no. it is obvious. Every turn it takes is just something weird, odd, melancholy, beautiful, mm. and it just makes this amazing whole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm right. We agreed that we were not going to be, you know, uh, going to do the spoiler. No, but uh, I'm going to attempt without doing the spoiler to describe. Elements of the beginning and end that that, uh, that there's a, one of the reasons why this is one of my favourite films of all time is that it it makes me cry, and 
it, I wouldn't love it so much unless it made me cry, even though I've watched it <laughs> probably a dozen times. Mm. Um, one of the reasons is it's one of the earliest films that deals in, I think, an adult and authentic way with trauma and with the kind of trauma suffered by a child who's been abused. So at the beginning of the film, we see um, uh, John um, watch his father be caught by the police and hurt uh, as they put their his arms behind his back and cuff him. And he feels it and experiences it as a physical pain in his stomach. Um, towards the end of the film, um, we get a mirror image of that uh, with a different character and he experiences it as a, another punch in the mm, stomach mm. Uh, and, it, and, it, and reacts in exactly the same way despite the fact that it's not his father. And it's, it's quite... Uh, it blows my, my mind every time. And the fight, you know, uh, in, also towards the end of the film is uh, Lillian Gish at her finest she says five words um they endure and they abide now you may listen to that now <laughs> me on mm. a podcast going oh seen that big a deal i i urge you to watch mm. this film and you'll understand why it's one of the most poignant things anyone has ever said in a film uh, she's talking about children isn't it and and their and their innocence i guess you know we've seen innocence stripped from these kids all the way all the way through and in fact uh kind of right right at the start we see another group of kids find the, they're playing and they find the body of presumably one of them's mother who has been killed by harry powell this is before he's even kind of got yeah. in got in the, the, in, the draper's life in yeah. the draper's life and so within about two minutes we're seeing innocent innocence destroyed by evil and yeah. what she's saying at the end is children and their innocence will abide and will endure endure This is an, an absolutely beautiful film. Mitchum's great in it. Shelley Winters is amazing in it. Lillian Gish is exactly what's needed in it. This, this kind of shining light an angel. of goodness. She's an angel. And talking of which, mm. um, the, the, one of the most, uh, again, um, uh, one of the most extraordinary scenes, it, it, not just in this film, but in cinema, is um, is, is one of its most tragic. It is... Uh, Harry Powell's um, inevitable murder of Willa mm. and Charles Lawton's use of a soundstage and what he wanted to do with it is at its most extraordinary here because it is in a room with a kind of triangular ceiling which looks half like a small church and half like the theatre. Yes, of course. Uh, which of course is Charles Lawton's big background and uh, Willa is in bed and um, Robert Mitchum first assaults her um, before he, he strangles her, I think it is, isn't it? In that? Oh, no, he stabs her, that's right. And But it's the slap. Mm. He slaps her and her head bounces straight back and there is a halo of light mm. through the window onto her face and this beatific expression on her face as if... She knows. She knows exactly where where this is going. 
she has accepted it completely and she is almost accepting her place in heaven mm -hmm. um or is it accepting her place as a victim uh, it's hard you know you can i think you could, everyone would watch it and, and yeah. get their own interpretation it's stunningly beautiful and it, it it's very difficult to to look at a murder and sort of say well it's beautiful um but, but I, I don't yeah. think there's any other way to put it. Yeah, and I think that's what Shelley Winters is so good at. As you as you said, she is a victim in many of her films. Quite literally, she is a victim, but she manages to to make it kind of so much more. And you know, you mentioned Lolita, and I once got into an argument over Twitter with somebody because I was just like, <laughs> "I'm sorry, but that is the only time Stanley Kubrick had a good female character, and that was down to her, and you that wasn't right. down to him." You may be right. Um. Anyway. I'm not on Twitter anymore. I'm so. I'm I'm, I, you know I love Kubrick, but I'm mm. trying now, scuttling around in my head to try and think of another good female character in a Kubrick film, and I'm really struggling. Um, so anyway, yeah, carry on. Yeah. So <laughs> I think what I'm saying is everybody brings what they need to bring uh, yeah. to this film. And I, I think we're I think we're coming towards the, the end of, I think so. of, of I think what we have so. to say about it. It's, it's an absolute treat for the eyes and I've said that about several of the films that, that we've watched and partly that's why we choose them you know we mm. like of course great great plots great acting but yeah. films are films are visual yeah. I, I read great books I listen to great music yeah. films bring you something else and boy does this film bring it beautiful black and white just stark 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 images haunting things that will remain with you yeah. to, the, there's, to there's, the end of your days to the end of and that that scene where they sing the hymn together is oh, is one of them. Oh my god! There's another scene where, in his leisurely way, he's on a horse on the horizon. Yes. The sun's going down, so he's in silhouette, and he's just moving across the screen from left to right. And you never forget on this it on, your on life. this horse, and, and it's just and, seared and in your brain. Also, um, um, again, Robert Mitchum himself revealing this in a documentary. That was a little person on a pony in a soundstage. Because of the perspective, I I read that I read that too. It's just like how, yeah, you know, what a vision and yeah. And, and what what did we miss? What did we miss with Charles Lawton? What what didn't he make that that could have brought us that joy? Because uh, he, yeah, you know, absolutely. He didn't get to That's do it again. a rhetorical question, isn't it? Mm. I mean, if if you know Kubrick, you know, is a good example. You know, Kubrick was just at this point making his first very, very low budget films and, and whatever, and we saw where he'd got to by the 1962 as an artist. Um, where would Charles Lawton have got yeah, to in that yeah. seven years if he'd had more chances? Yeah, absolutely. But there we go. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. <Well. laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna mark this film for yeah. ten out of. Uh, uh, for quality and for weirdness and we are going to do it with rocking chairs okay how many rocking chairs for quality and how many for weirdness um uh i'm not sure i'm going to do this again in in any show mm. that we do uh it's 10 and 10 it is particularly in the context of 1955 one of the weirdest films ever made and it is one of the greatest films ever made I, I, it's flawless so it's 10 and 10 for me can't top it can't disagree has to be and I know when we first started doing this this was one of the first films yeah. that came up I wonder why it's taken us 30 episodes I think we were, to, I think we were a bit intimidated maybe maybe and maybe maybe we still are maybe, yeah. that's, maybe that's come across a little bit today <laughs> maybe, maybe that it it's it is in a very it's a very emotional 
film for for me. It looks, looks like it's, it's a very emotional film for you. Um, if you haven't seen it, you must. Absolutely. You Til, just must. Absolutely. Till next time. Till next time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.